I have the privilege today to wrap up the series on location, which focused on where Jesus was doing his ministry and then moved into who he was doing his ministry with. And that all falls in the larger series we've been doing, walking through the whole Gospel of Matthew. Remember, Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, and then some pretty miraculous things happened when he took his disciples on a journey to different locations to show them what his teachings look like in action. Jesus brought them to the dangerous side of the Sea of Galilee to heal two demon-possessed men. Jesus healed a paralyzed man so he could walk. He befriended outcasts, and he sat with sinners and tax collectors, people with questionable pasts. He healed a woman who had been suffering for years from bleeding, and she was isolated from others for 12 years. He responded to the desperate plea of a dad to come and heal his daughter. And today, in our last scene of this movement of the story, Jesus does another miracle himself before he sends out his disciples to do the same things he's been doing. And that is the exciting turn where we'll go next week. But before we make that shift... Today we're going to look at a story from, Mark, or from Matthew 9, where Jesus asks a question. The Gospels of Mark and Luke tell the same story, but they record Jesus asking another question. Two different questions that I think our very souls want to answer. Two questions that Jesus asks that I think bring up a whole bunch of feelings. Two questions that are largely important to our faith journeys. I'm not even going to hold the tension with these questions. I'm just going to tell you. The question that Jesus asks in the story of Mark and Luke is, what do you want me to do for you? Same story, different question he asks in Matthew. Do you believe that I am able to do this? How do these questions make you feel? What thoughts flood your mind when you hear them? Do you immediately have an answer to those questions? Jesus, I want you to do this and this and this. Or are you afraid to answer those questions? Have you already answered them and you've been maybe hurt or angry or filled with grief when you felt like he didn't answer you? What do you want me to do for you? Do you believe that I am able to do this? We'll read through the accounts, we'll unpack them, and then we'll revisit those questions and we'll feel that wrestle. So we'll start with the story in Matthew. Matthew 9, uh, 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. So first of all, imagine with me a blackness so dark you can feel it. The confinement, the immensely small world that you would live in being blind especially in ancient times. 
groping through the darkness wherever you go, stumbling. So when we read two blind men followed him, that is not a small thing. They didn't just hop up and follow him. They were putting themselves at a pretty great risk to leave their place where they were safely sitting and follow after a man they couldn't even see. Blind beggars of those days dwelt near the bottom rung of society and privilege. Their voices were silenced. They didn't really matter to anyone. So Jesus was leaving Jairus' home after he had raised his daughter from the dead. And he was heading back to the place where he was staying in Capernaum. It was probably Peter or Matthew's house. These two blind men become aware that Jesus was passing by, and they started to follow him. The Bible doesn't tell us why they were blind, but regardless of the cause, these men could not see. And together, they start following Jesus, hoping that he'll help them. And as they are going, they are crying out, saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. Have you ever cried out to get someone's attention? Maybe your toddler running toward the road or your dog. You have that crying out. That's what they were doing. They were yelling, shouting. They wanted Jesus' attention. But why did they call him son of David? We all know the Christmas story, right? That his dad's name was Joseph. So why did they call him that? We might be tempted to just simply skip past that and think nothing of it, but it's a pretty significant moment. It's a simple sentence, son of David, but it's full of deep meaning. Because son of David is a messianic title. It's the title for the Messiah. Nobody in the Gospels had called Jesus by this title yet. In other words, these blind beggars did not pick up on a buzzword or chatter from the crowd. They somehow perceived that Jesus is the Messiah King, the son of David. They, in their blindness, recognized Jesus as Messiah. Which means these men were vocalizing a trust that Jesus was the one who is to come which is pretty incredible. And then another pretty incredible thing in that sentence was that their cry was for mercy. Asking for mercy is asking someone to give you something good that isn't deserved. So when you ask for mercy, number one, you know you don't deserve what you're asking for. And two, you know the person you are making the request to can give you what you're asking for. So these two blind men were crying out to Jesus for mercy because they knew they were not deserving of his help. But they were also crying out to Jesus because he knew that they, they knew he could help. Pretty incredible that they saw all of that in Jesus. Verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. Now, though they were following Jesus and loudly hollering after him, Jesus didn't respond immediately. Our text says, 
after he had come into the house, the blind men came up to him. Jesus waited to respond to these two men until after he reached his destination, after he had gone inside the house he was living in while he was there. I think maybe the reason for his delayed response was to minimize that public announcement these men just made that he was the Messiah. Because if he had responded and answered to their call to him as the son of David, it would have loudly and boldly declared that that is who he was. And that would have caused all kinds of problems that it just wasn't time for. So Jesus went inside the house and these two blind men stumbled into. Imagine this room, stone walls, a rough wooden table, oil lamps flickering, some of Jesus' disciples standing there, maybe the family whose home it was, watching these men feel their way unfamiliarly inside. And then there was Jesus. Can you imagine him? looking with great compassion as these two blind men were feeling their way into the house. I wonder if Jesus walked towards them, helping to bridge that gap in their darkness. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They couldn't see him. But knowing the kind of man that Jesus was, I imagine him looking directly into their non-seeing eyes with a fierce love and dignity. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And there it is, that million-dollar question, do you believe? Let's look at Mark and Luke a minute and see how they tell this story. Mark tells us, As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said to him, Call him. So they said to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside. Side note here, this is a fantastic detail. To a destitute, blind person, their cloak was their warmth, their home, their protection from the elements something to hide in, something familiar, something to feel safe in, probably their greatest possession. So the act of him just throwing his cloak tells us that his faith, his trust in Jesus was already pretty profound. He trusted Jesus so much that he just threw his greatest possession to the side of the road and leapt toward him. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And then in Luke, he tells us, as Jesus approached, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. 
When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Do you believe that I am able to do this? When someone has any type of faith in God, we ask him for stuff. Right? Whether it's on our knees begging him for something, some huge prayer that we want answered, or an almost flippant last resort kind of a thing. We're going to dive deeper into that in a minute, but I wanted to continue to get you thinking. What do you want me to do for you? Do you believe that I am able to do this? They answer his question in Matthew with, yes, Lord, we do. They answer his question in Mark with, Rabbi, I want to see. They answer the question in Luke with, Lord, I want to see. They believed and they wanted to see. What if we get so caught up with life, the busyness, the chaos, our hectic schedules, that we don't see him? What if we get so overwhelmed with the hard stuff, our pain, our grief, the betrayal, that you don't matter to someone or someone's, when the loneliness and emptiness tests our beliefs that we don't see him? What if we get so caught up with feeling like he isn't hearing us or isn't with us that we don't see him? That we want to, but we don't know how. Now, I wish I could wrap all this up neatly with a big bow and tell you that's all you have to do. Ask and you'll get it. That would be so nice sometimes, wouldn't it? But I'm here to tell you firsthand that is not how life works. But we'll come back to that too. Let's finish reading from Matthew. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were open. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the good news about him all over the region. Let's hone in on the words believe and faith a minute. Because they're actually the very same Greek word, pistis which means to be faithful to, to hold fidelity to, trust. And for a society like ours, which tends to equate believing with intellect or an agreement with something, I find it really helpful to read the text like this. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you trust that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your trust, let it be done to you. That changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Do you trust me? 
and their eyes were open. Can you even imagine you and your best buddy, your equally blind companion, living in complete darkness, and you can suddenly see light, trees, flowers, dirt, houses, hills, color, texture, shapes, faces, people, babies, animals. Can you imagine taking it all in, just soaking up the world around you? matching the smells and the sounds to things that you can finally see. A fragrant, steaming golden loaf of bread. A squealing, plump, rosy baby. A bleeding, white, woolly sheep. Close your eyes tightly, just for a moment. Now open them. Look around. Just soak in the beauty. Look out there. We're getting leaves, guys. Spring is really going to come. I didn't know if it was, but it's coming. But we are so accustomed to seeing that this miraculous moment sometimes feels difficult to comprehend. But Jesus healed these men. They could see. Matthew 9 says in verse 30 and 31, And their eyes were opened. Now, that first line is really fascinating. And their eyes were opened. Again, it's so cool to know what a word really means. The Greek word for this is anigo, which means to open up, either literally or figuratively. And what makes that really interesting is that Jesus uses the same word in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you and you will find, knock, and it will be opened. Anigo, that same word. The language here is different than blindness being healed or cured, but that their eyes were open. It holds a deeper meaning. In Mark and Luke's version of this story, they have Jesus asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? And that question might seem a little odd, because what else would they want? But it's an important question, because as professional beggars, they'd be typically asking for the basics of food and water or clothes. But their request is bigger, and it's bolder. We want to see. They go all in. They ask for the seemingly impossible. Again, revealing that they see Jesus. It's a terrible pun, but... Uh, but they see him more than a nice guy or even just the son of David. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your trust, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. The meaning for the word touch is to light or to kindle, to fasten fire to a thing, to set on fire. So the language is of energy, igniting a newness, or refining, and that carries a whole lot more meaning than the word touch. So this quickly has become a story about two men who can't physically see, who come to Jesus in a humble, hopeful, trust-filled way. Jesus miraculously restores their sight, their vision. But I wonder if the miracle that Jesus really performs is allowing these men to see beyond what they even thought was possible.
When we trust Jesus, we see him for who he is. When we allow him to touch us, we become new, we're refined, we have a clearer vision, we start to see the bigger picture. But what about when Jesus asks you, what do you want me to do for you? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And you tell him, and then nothing. Crickets. What about then? I've been there, tried to answer him those questions, tried telling him, tears streaming down my cheeks as I sat on a paper-covered exam table in that ultrasound room, willing for a heartbeat in my 15-week-old baby, begging God to heal my husband's heart and restore our marriage, driving 70 miles an hour down Baldwin last fall to get to my mom and dad-in-law's house, crying out to God to save my father-in-law's life. People I love have been there, trying to answer those kinds of questions too. Wives losing husbands to cancer, infertility, babies being born with severe health issues, losing jobs or losing homes, marriages falling apart, broken relationships that don't seem to be restored, living with a chronic illness. I see your faces sitting there, stories of your own pain, stories of your own crying out. Some of the stories, I've sat with you through them, and some stories I don't know. But we all carry them. Pain-filled moments when it feels as though that darkness is closing in, when we can't see. Our voices hoarse from crying out to Jesus, trying to get his attention. But friends, I promise you, he is in it. He's paying attention to us. He is in all of that crappy crap that makes our souls ache. I have three stories I want to tell you. Stories where in the muck and the mundane of life, I saw him. My kids love avocados. And I, this was, I think it was Instagram said I pulled up two pictures. 211 weeks ago this happened, so it was like four years ago. I usually only buy avocados when they're on sale because they're expensive. And when you have four kids and they love avocado toast, you go through a lot of avocados. But so anyway, they were on sale that week. I posted a picture. You can put the first one up. This was my Instagram picture. This was Ellie. And my caption said, I usually only buy avocados when they're on sale. This week, they're 10 for 10. Ellie is wanting her very own. But I told her I'd cover it. That was that. I, that, was, that was all. It was adorable to me. But then, two days later, I got home, and there was a bag hanging on my um, screen door. And that's the next picture. And my caption to this one is, sometimes Jesus shows up on your doorstep as 12 avocados in a Walgreens bag. Whoever gifted us, thank you. I have no idea who gave us 12 avocados, but I felt seen by Jesus. 
And then my second story is um, I came home, um, I don't know, last summer to a huge box of strawberries on the counter. And I thought, what in the world? Who are these from? And so my kids told me who had brought them over, and I, sa- I texted her, and I said, that was so kind of you. Thank you, friend. Gabe loves smoothies and eats me out of house and home with strawberries. She responded, tell him that God must have wanted to bless him today because I had some unexpected strawberries, and I heard from God, bring some to Lisa. I texted her yesterday, and I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm going to share this story. And she said, you want to know what's so cool? She said, I forgot about this. She was at a woman's conference yesterday, and the topic was walking by the Spirit. And she said it just ignited in her to keep on doing, to keep on listening to the Spirit. And then the third story is about a garbage can. This was probably five and a half years ago. Um, I had been a single mom for only about six months, and there was a huge windstorm, and our trash can disappeared, like the big honking trash can. And so I'm looking, like, what in the world? Where did this go? How does one trash can blow away? So my kids and I were walking through the neighborhood. I knocked on the neighbor's door. Have you seen my trash can? And so then, I don't know, for a few weeks, my dad would stop by and pick up a, you know, pick up a bag, and I'd, I'd bring him over there myself. And finally, I thought, be an adult and call and get your trash can. So I called, and the lady said a trash can would be $100. And I said, oh, um, I don't have $100 for a trash can. And she said, well, why don't you talk it over with your husband? And I said, I don't have a husband. And if you want to ever, like, end a conversation really quick, it's kind of awkward. Didn't mean to say it, it just came out. So she, we hung up the phone, and I thought, great, what am I going to do? So a few days later, um, I was just down in the dumps. My heart hurt. I felt heavy. I was mad. Life stunk. And I said, God, I need you to show up today. I want to go to my mailbox. I want to have a card from somebody saying they see me. They, they, like, I want to know that you're there in my mailbox because people put stuff in mailboxes. And so I walked to the mailbox and there was nothing. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me, God? Like I said, I needed you. I told you I needed you to show up. And so I just thought, does he see me? I don't feel like he sees me. And a little while later, I don't remember which one of my kids, but they came in and they're like, Mom, did you see what's next to the mailbox? And at that point, there had been nothing. And and I said, no. And they said, it's our trash can. So I went outside and was like, are you kidding me? This big blue trash can. I don't know. It was spotless inside, like totally clean. I have no idea how this trash can showed up, where it came from, but God saw me. He heard my cry and he showed up in a trash can. This is the part that I told Mary, but it's kind of embarrassing. But So I came in the house and um, I was like going like this. And Elena's like, Mom, what are you doing? And I said, I'm high-fiving Jesus. So if you ever want to high-five Jesus, he, he will, uh, he'll connect. But so there's nothing holy or sacred or precious 
about an avocado or a strawberry or a garbage can. But what is holy or sacred and precious is that in those times of life, when I was asking to see him, asking him to show up, he did. He helped me to see. My baby did die. My marriage did end. And my dad-in-law did go to heaven. But I looked up enough from that darkness that was seeming to close in around me. And I felt his love, his overwhelming love in some fruit and a big blue garbage can. And in so many ways and in so many other times. And I wonder what happens if you pause for a moment, go back in your mind and think about those times where you were filled with pain and you felt like you were just hollering to the Lord, telling him what you wanted, and you felt like he didn't hear you. Pause and remember where something small showed up, where something happened, something a little out of the ordinary, like that avocado or that box of strawberries. Look into your stories. Ask him, help me see where you were. Allow this thought of Jesus showing up in real, in present, sometimes hilarious ways to help heal your heart, to soothe your soul, to soothe your doubt. Whisper, I'm here. What are the avocados in your faith journey? Maybe it's when money was tight and you walked into Goodwill and there was a whole bunch of great clothes just the right size for one of your kids. Maybe it was an out-of-the-blue note or text from someone. Maybe the check engine light in your car miraculously goes out and suddenly that weird noise goes away. Maybe it's a meaningful sentence that someone says to you that strikes a chord and you hear God's voice through their words. Think, remember, I promise you that when you ask to see him, you will. I promise when you look back in your stories, the good and the hard, you will find him. He shows up. It's not always with fireworks or noisemakers. It may simply be in the freshness that a juicy strawberry brings. Jeremiah says, Then you will call upon me and come pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When he asks, What do you want me to do for you? Ask him to help you see. Ask him to help you see how he's working, where he's working, in the little ways to show you that he's there, even when that big thing isn't fixed or healed or brought back to you. He is in it. He's so worth trusting. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart so you can see. Ask him to touch you, to light a fire inside your soul for newness, to rekindle your faith, to set you on fire, to give you vision, to see more, to see bigger. Ask him to help you see. Seeing in this passage means to look up, 
Look up and lock eyes with the one who knows you best, who hears your cry for mercy. You see, my friends, in this regular day-to-day and in the devastation of life, all of it, he is with us. He's looking at us, looking directly into our eyes with that same fierce love and dignity that he looked at those blind men. While we may not always get what we're specifically asking for, and sometimes that's a wrestle because you can ask for a good thing, there's lots of reasons that go along with that. Others' free will, this fallen world. But all of that, know this. Even in that, he will meet us where we are. He will heal us. He will help us see. Look up. Look around. See where he's dancing around you, showering you with his love and his goodness and his healing. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. When you hear him ask, what do you want me to do for you? Tell him. Tell him you want to see. You want to see him and his fingerprints that are all over your life. Tell him you want to see him working. When he asks, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you trust me? Tell him yes. When you look into the love-filled eyes of Jesus, we can see him. We can trust him. And that, my friends, is where our trust is ignited in his eyes. Trust for the strength to face the hard and the unknown, the day-to-day. And we do not have to do it alone. You don't have to sit in darkness alone. If you want to wrestle with your story together, if you want to challenge me on this, if you want to share with me your stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, that make up your life, I would love to hear it. I want to sit with you, and I want to see where Jesus was in them with you. If you are struggling to see Jesus with you, I want to sit with you there too. I'll walk with you as you begin to see and where that trust is starting to be rekindled. Will you pray with me?